0: Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com.
1: I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, jumping in to tell you about this week's episode of Meat and Three, Heritage Radio Network's Weekly Food Roundup. This week, we're introducing you to some amazing women taking a stand. So often... Being sexually harassed feels like a loss of control, and so I wanted to have these very tangible guides to say, here's what you can do. Others are pushing for more diversity at major food industry events.
2: I still feel really determined to do you know, whatever I can to help shift that, and in a direction that's not just more diverse, but more equitable.
1: We also have a report on that summer business staple, the lemonade stand.
2: The lemonade stand might be the purest form of starting a business. Low overhead, easy to get into, and requires little experience or special equipment.
1: Don't miss Meat and 3, your weekly 15-minute food news roundup from HRN. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Search M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. And thanks, as always, for listening.
2: Welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liute, and we're broadcasting live from Roberta's on Heritage Radio Network. As a fellow Michigander, which I want to just tell you that's the official term for anyone from the state. Water issues are of particular interest to me. The Great Lakes state, it is called, has a higher percentage of uh, surface water than any other American state. And over the last few years, there's been a lot of activity with regard to the availability of clean drinking water in several of Michigan's major cities, while at the same time, a multinational corporation is benefiting even more from pumping this public resource for private use. Joining me to discuss these issues and his suggested remedy to the situation is Nick Trek, environmental law professor and the director of the environmental clinic at Wayne State Law School in Detroit. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's just to get started. Can you just give us a few stats on like how much water exactly is there in Michigan?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, Michigan sits um, right in the heart of the Great Lakes, which is about 20% of the available surface freshwater In the world um you know eighty some percent of the fresh water in north america is right here in the great lakes region and so michigan as well as being you know bordering um for the five great lakes also has a an abundant supply of groundwater you know water that could actually be pumped out of the ground
2: Okay, I actually have to admit that I did not know all of those stats, even though <laughs> I, I I hail from that state. But that's very impressive. Um, okay, so then can you like what can you give us a sense of like what um, you know what of the percentage of water that's available? What is it used for? Where does it go? Like, what's the water life cycle basically?
3: Sure. So the. Biggest water users uh, in the state of Michigan are, it's actually agriculture is the number one water user. So either, you know, taking water from a river or a lake and using it, diverting it through a ditch or pumping it through a pipe for agriculture or pumping groundwater. That's the biggest um, user of water in the state. Mm-hmm. Then after that, it's mainly electrical power generation, so coal plants that generate electricity, they draw in a lot of water, or nuclear plants that you, that generate steam um, and to, to generate electricity, um, they use a lot of water. And then it goes on down from there. Industry, and then eventually we get to municipal water supply, so mm-hmm. like the city of Detroit's water system, or um, smaller communities, their water distribution system, and then, you know, manufacturing, that type of thing. But the biggest user by far is, is agriculture.
2: Um, that I think that makes sense, and does that kind of track with, uh, you know, what, what happens throughout the rest of the country, certainly the world?
3: Correct. It, correct. It does. And, you know, one thing that is unique about Michigan, um, as, I, as I said, you know, we, we're a very water-rich state. Um, and because we border all of these eight Great Lakes, um, there's, there's this thinking, I think, within a lot of people in Michigan that water is something we don't have to be as cognizant about or as concerned about conserving and mm-hmm. protecting that resource. Even though you know the Great Lakes are culturally very much part of us, we don't always think about how turning on the tap or how if we're washing a car in the driveway, yeah. um, how we might be wasting that water uh, because again we're just we're just used to this abundance of this of this freshwater resource
2: and the mentality. Like I remember. Um, growing up, there was a, I was at a, a friend's house and, um, you know, her mom was like running the tap and just like, let it run. <laughs> and I, uh, said something and she, she was like, Oh, it doesn't matter. There's so much water here. And I was just, you know, my, my initial, uh, every fiber of my being was like, why? This is not okay. Right. It's gonna, it's gonna run out. I, mean, I don't know if that's true, but it was well, a sense well, I got. Well, and it,
3: it is, it's, it's wasteful. And I think it's something that, you know, when, as the, the Great Lakes region and the Midwest, as our cities and states continue to be stagnant in terms of population we haven't seen a lot of growth yeah. Um people are moving to the Sun Belt you know they're moving to the south they're moving to the west where there isn't that abundant supply of water and so I think we have to be um, aware of the fact that other thirsty states are looking at us in Michigan looking at the Great Lakes looking at all of this this fresh water supply yeah. and and they're wondering you know how can they get some of that water um, and that's where I think we need to be better stewards and need to be more responsible and we need to look at you know how we're actually effectively giving away water for free in this state, and how that could, you know, over time lead to some some pretty bad consequences.
2: Right, and we're going to talk about that with regard to the multinational, com- you know, corporations that I um, mentioned in the intro. But I mean, just before we do that, do do we actually um, pump any water out of the state right now?
3: So, there's like for, sorry for other like a, states. A that's in place um, with, between the eight Great Lakes states and two Canadian provinces. Uh, there's a compact between the eight states. It's called the Great Lakes Compact, mm-hmm. and that prohibits any large-scale diversion of water. So a big pipe or you know, massive tanker trucks or ships of water, they cannot be diverted out of the Great Lakes. Um, and there's some very limited exceptions to that compact. Um, and one of the exceptions is actually water in containers um, smaller than than five point six gallons. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's that's the so-called bottled water loophole. Mm-hmm. Um, so there there isn't you know a massive pipe that's diverting water out of the Great Lakes. Um, there is the Chicago River in Illinois actually um, was reversed by by engineers to flow downstream, and that actually diverts some water out of Lake Michigan.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but that was existing before this Great Lakes Compact was passed. So the intent was to keep the water in the Great Lakes because most of the water here is actually left over from the last ice age. Um, It was part of glaciers melting, and only about 1% of that water is renewed every year through rain and snow melt. So if you start withdrawing using, consuming a lot of water, um, you could over time see a depletion of the Great Lakes.
2: Is that I mean, I'm assuming that those figures are much greater in other states with less precipitation so is is one percent like actually a lot compared to uh, other other states or is that just it's
3: a lot of water yeah I mean we do get um, you, you know relative to other other parts of the country you know Michigan is is a relatively wet state in terms of precipitation yeah um, but but just to think about you know, it's it's something like four quadrillion gallons, which I can't even really um, yeah, get yeah. my head around what, I that don't really means, know what that means. But a massive <laughs> amount of water in the Great Lakes, and so just to think about how only one percent of that is actually renewed or brought back into the Great Lake system each year by rain or snow. Terrifying. And so over time, you could you could deplete that through overuse.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we're probably working really hard to do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So okay. So what um, what is like corporate involvement with regard to water in the state um we talked about like the the company i'm referencing is specifically is nestle and they just actually had a big um a big announcement recently so can you tell us a little bit about like the company's involvement in the state and what operationally um what they're doing there
3: sure so so water in in michigan and in fact most the, the eastern united states so east of the mississippi most states follow this um, common law. It's really a property rights issue when when you deal with water. And what I mean by that is that if you own property, you typically have the right to use water under your property or adjacent to your property, so long as you're not harming other users. And we call this the reasonable use doctrine. Um, And so Nestle actually owns property in Michigan. They bought parcels in the the northern part of our lower peninsula so you know the michigan people put their hand up and mm-hmm. show you where they're from on their hand mm-hmm. um as a map um it's the north the northern part of our lower peninsula Nestle owns property and they they can therefore then pump groundwater or capture spring water um and and then take that water bottle it and sell it they're not the only company doing this um we have coca-cola that, that bottles their uh dasani product um and we you know we we have uh, Pepsi that does their Aquafina product we have a company called Abso Pure that also that bottles a lot of water in the state um Nestle has received a lot of attention because they sought to pump water back in the early 2000s and they were actually sued by a, a conservation group called the Michigan Citizens for Water Conservation and a judge actually put a cap on the amount of water that they could pump arguing that it would impact um, surface waters. So mm-hmm. they're pumping groundwater, but that, that could harm wetlands or that could harm streams, lakes, that type of thing. Um, and so now Nestle has come back, um, you know, a dozen or so years later, and they've looked to increase their pumping at a number of these wells where they actually, again, they own the property. Um, so they have a right to use that water. But the question is, is their use of their water actually, you know, harming neighboring property owners or, or harming our shared natural resources, um, you know, which I argue includes all of our water in the state, um, and that it you know, really shouldn't be something that's, that's monetized like this for, for a corporation to make money.
2: Do other corporations, have they had similar, um, you know, have they had similar issues or is this something just specific to Nestle in the, in the particular area that they, you know, in the area they own land?
3: So Nestle's received a huge amount of attention, I think in part because they're, they're such a, a big name. You know, everyone everyone's heard of Nestle. And, and I should note that the product that they sell from the, the water they're bottling in Michigan is called Ice Mountain. That's mm-hmm. the brand that they use, even though we don't really have mountains in Michigan. Uh, they call it Ice Mountain. And it's it's a spring water product, and then they also bottle something called Pure Life, which is another Nestle brand that is uh, sold, I believe, all across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they, they've received a lot of attention, I think, in part because they're you know a big multinational corporation um, that people have heard of. But what's also interesting is that I mentioned Coca Cola and yeah. Pepsi and how they bottle water. What they actually do is they buy water from a municipal water system, and then they they filter that water and bottle it. So if you're buying Aquafina or Dasani bottled water, um, you're actually just getting a filtered tap water, um, is what you're, what you're paying for. And that's different than Nestle, where they're, they're trying to actually get this, this water from the source from a spring. And that can have more damaging natural resource impacts because you're pulling water from an area where that, that spring might be feeding a wetland or it might be feeding uh, a small creek that flows into a river and you can have impacts to fish or to um, frogs and other aquatic life. Wow. So Nestle, I mean, like I said, there's, there's other other producers that are that are doing similar things, but this this Nestle issue has really galvanized a lot of attention, and I think in large part it's because of um, the Flint water crisis and some of these other water issues that we've had in the news mm-hmm. that have really drawn people's attention to how we're using our water resources in Michigan.
2: Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about Flint. <laughs> What happened there? Can you actually, I mean, honestly, can you give us a just sort of a recap? I think we have a lot going on in the news cycle, right? And, um, you know, a lot of times it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, like these are major crises and they're top of mind for like, you know, one news cycle and then there's like the next big thing that happens. So um, for all of us who have, you know, shorter memory, (laughs) (laughs) like attention spans these days, uh, can you just kind of give us a recap of what happened?
3: Well, and this is, I guess, my, my sort of elevator speech about the Flint water crisis. But, you know, Flint, Michigan um, was a city that had boomed along with the growth of the automotive industry. This was Buick City, where General Motors, um, the, the Buick brand, was founded. Um, and then over the last 30, 40 years, as a lot of those jobs went away, the city of Flint um, also lost a lot of population. Um, so now the, the city of Flint today and some surrounding areas is around 100,000 people that were actually served by their, their water supply system. And Flint went through a bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Flint actually, there was there's a, a state law that allows our governor to appoint what's called an emergency manager, and that emergency manager then effectively runs everything with municipal government. Um, you know, they can they can sign contracts, cancel contracts, hire people, fire people without approval of city council in most cases. Hmm. And that emergency manager, um, as a cost savings measure, decided to get the city of Flint off of our Detroit municipal water supply. And I should note for people not in this area, this is a massive geogra- geographic area. I mean, it, it's um, what, probably seventy, eighty miles from Detroit to Flint, mm-hmm. and they were all part of the same drinking water distribution system. And sorry, where and does so, that
2: come from? Sorry to interrupt. Where does that? Where is the Detroit uh, water? You know, municipal water supply.
3: Sure. So, so Detroit draws water from Lake Huron, um, one of our Great Lakes, and then also uh, further down, closer to. The city of detroit itself they also draw in water from the detroit river um so you know big large surface bodies of water where they pull in water then they would treat it and pump it um to homes and flint and all over the rest of their service area and so flint had this idea along with the county genesee county where, where flint is located to get off of that detroit system um because they were arguing that they were basically being charged an unfair rate for water, So it was a cost-savings measure over the long term for them to develop their own drinking water intake and to process their own water. <laughs> um, but what happened with the water crisis is that in the interim, before Flint gets this whole new pipeline to Lake Huron put in place, and, and they've got all their new systems online, they were going to use this old drinking water treatment plant in Flint that was really there as just an emergency kind of backup in case something went wrong with the, the regular Detroit distribution system. Mm-hmm. So they, with much fanfare, they flipped the switch, they started pumping water through this, this Flint system, and they're drawing the supply from a river called the Flint River. So they're pulling water from the Flint River. And what happened was they weren't treating it appropriately, and the water was more corrosive, and it started leaching metals like lead and copper out of the pipes um So, if you have a lead pipe and if it's, the water isn't treated properly to prevent corrosion, mm-hmm. it can leach that lead out of the pipe. then that lead gets into the tap water, lead gets into people's blood, and they get lead poisoned. And so, so effectively what happened is you had you know tens of thousands of people within the city of Flint that were poisoned because the water treatment system wasn't run appropriately. Water was distributed, leached lead out of, and copper out of out of pipes. And then that, made, you know, that got into people's um, bodies through their ingestion of the water. So
2: was um, the, so was the in issue... In a nutshell,
3: kind of what happened.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's um, a great overview. Um, was the issue that they it wasn't treated properly or that, like, the whole infrastructure wasn't, um, you know, set up to be able to provide this kind of resource? Like, like um, if the water well, was treated properly... Yeah properly this may be a silly question but if the water was treated properly after you know would it not have mattered that those that the infrastructure was like wildly outdated
3: right so I've, I've heard engineers describe parts of the Flint system as like Swiss cheese you know you had so many leaks um, you know of water leaking out of their their distribution system so that infrastructure was certainly a problem the water treatment plant there in Flint that they switched over to had not had the type of you um, Upgrades that were required to provide water to 100,000 okay. people. So, infrastructure is definitely a problem. But, um, had they actually treated the water with it's a type of it's a phosphate, a chemical, had they treated, um, the water with, with this additive, mm-hmm. it would have continued to coat the pipes with a sort of like a film. If you think of uh. like a clogged artery or a hardened artery with this plaque that goes around the artery, mm-hmm. um, that's effectively what you do with this water treatment. You, you put a little film around the pipes. Which prevents the water from interacting with that pipe and drawing any of the lead or copper out. Um, Flint was not adding that additional chemical, which I've seen estimates as low as you know would have been a couple hundred dollars a day um, for the cost for them to add that that treatment, and that would have likely prevented the whole you know water crisis from happening. Wow. Um, so really tragic, and and a lot of mismanagement. You know we should talk. We should point out that there are. Um, uh, several people have been charged with very serious crimes, um, you know, it, it related to the, the water crisis. So it's an ongoing tragedy, and the kind of judicial process is playing its, itself out as we speak.
2: Um, and uh, okay, so that okay, so th- you know, thank you for that. So what is what has come out of that? I'm imagining there have been all of these changes made because this was a huge issue. And and by the way, I I also want to say that there was a a big announcement um, recently, wasn't there, in terms of the provision of clean water to uh, people in the Flint area, which is, it was shut off, right? Which is like, it came kind of at the same time as the Nestle announcement. The Nestle decision, right. Yeah. So So you
3: you had, yeah, you had the the city of Flint, um, because the water system had now been, effectively destroyed because the water wasn't treated properly. Um, and then people were also, they'd been lied to by our state government and told that their water was fine and they kept drinking it and you know, exposing themselves and their children to traditional lead and other contaminants. So as a result of that, the state set up distribution centers where people could pick up bottled water for free. Mm-hmm. And they would go and you know, load up, load up their cars or they would, they would have, uh, in some instances, water delivered to them if they were shut-ins or whatever. Um, well, the state announced the same week that Nestle received this permit to pump more groundwater for bottled water, the state announced that they were stopping the free bottled water distribution to the residents of Flint because in the state's view, the water levels have now recovered to a safe, um, you know, safe standard that people can go ahead and drink it and not and, and not have to worry about their health. Mm-hmm. Um, so the optics of that were really bad. The <laughs> fact that you had these two decisions announced the same week, um, and, and one footnote is yeah. that now, again, a week or so after that decision, uh, Nestle announced that they were going to be providing a hundred thousand bottles of water per week to the people of Flint Aww, for free so um, nice. for the foreseeable future. So, <laughs> so, so nice uh, of them. you know, these things are they're they're not the same issue but they're very closely related because we're talking about water and we're talking about you know bottled water versus tap water and all of that yeah
2: um there's also a very very real environmental cost i mean obviously if it's an emergency it's emergency but there there is a real environmental cost to providing you know bottled water in plastic water bottles to in that kind of volume and yeah
3: i mean we're not even talking about right the, the petroleum that goes into those bottles the the gasoline that's expended to ship it from you know wherever it's bottled to where it's distributed, um, yeah. The 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 lack of recycling, how abysmal our recycling rate is for for plastic in the state of Michigan. So yeah, I mean all those things on top of it, um, and plus you know. Just think about how horrible it would be to go through your life every day and to have to cook with bottled water, to have to wash, to take a shower, bathe with bottled water. I mean, this is an enormous inconvenience for people, Um, you know, very, very... Damaging just to their their daily lives, yeah. and they're you know they're never going to to get that back. Um, and that's just I think a part of this tragedy that often isn't thought about, just like how difficult it is to try and live your life when you're unscrewing little you know <laughs> twenty ounce bottles of water, and that's what you're using for all of your your cooking and your sanitation.
2: I can't I act I can't imagine, and um, it's just it's terrible. It's terrible. Um, it's, so what else? I mean, could they? What else could you do, and this is a total side note, but um, I'm just curious, like, how else could you treat the water? Could you treat the tap water on your own if you boil it? Or, I mean, that's an enormous inconvenience in and of itself also, but is there anything else you could do besides relying on bottled water?
3: Well, the, the problem with, with the Flint water crisis was that, um, you know, boiling actually doesn't help with the lead issue at all. Um, in fact, it, it might actually make it worse. Really? Um, and so so you don't, you wouldn't want to boil your water. I mean, that that's... The boiled water advisories usually happen when there's bacteria uh, potentially in the water supply, so like an E. coli outbreak or something, where if you boil it, you can kill um, kill the bacteria. But for, for lead and copper and other um, heavy metals or minerals that are in the water, the, the boiling doesn't actually help. So so sadly, um, and, and there were... Initially, when the crisis happened, they had problems with other issues, too. Their their chlorine levels were wrong in the water, so people were getting rashes. I mean, there was just Jesus. this whole litany of problems that people had. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, really the upshot is that you needed to bring in a water supply um, outside of the pipes in Flint. So it was basically bottled water um, was what, the, what they had to use. Eventually, they were able then to you can install filters on your your faucets, which can also pull out the lead. And some, most homes also then had filters installed. And that's great, but then you have to change those filters, um, every so often or they, they lose their effectiveness. So anyway, it's, it's a real real, just kind of ongoing tragedy that we're still seeing, you know, the repercussions from today.
2: Yeah, And that I think, again, I think people have kind of forgotten about if they don't deal with it every right. day. Um, okay. So we're going to take a really quick commercial break um, and hear a word from our sponsors. But when we get back, I want to talk a little bit about more about, like, you know, regulations, um, current regulations governing water safety and usage and, um, you know, what, what some of the proposals are in Michigan uh, post the Flint crisis. So stay tuned.
0: Think about what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit WildAlaskaSeafood.com. The great
2: distinction between your life and stories told. About the that made
1: you oh, me, sweep me up into your
2: hands, and we're back me. on eating matters where today I'm speaking with Nick Shrek environmental law professor at Wayne State University a law school in Detroit Okay, Nick, so before the break, we, um, um, I said we're going to talk about regulations, and now let's talk about regulations. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What? See how that works? <laughs> um, well, first, can you kind of give us a, a super brief history? Um, uh, I mean, this is a very broad question, but, like, you know, what has, what has the regulation of water and water usage um, in, in the past kind of generally looked like? And is it like predominantly, you know, where does like the more stringent regulations at the federal level, state level, does it vary wildly between states? I just threw a lot of questions at you, but let's start with kind of like a brief overview of like what the original intentions were of, um, you know, regulating water.
3: Yeah. So there's, I mean, a couple of things, like when we talk about uh, groundwater that's historically been dealt with by what we call our common law. And that's, um, you know, as I mentioned, the, in the eastern United States, we talk about this reasonable use doctrine, which means that if you own property, you have the right to use water. Um, either we call it riparian, which is a, a fancy word for you own land adjacent to a river, lake, or stream, um, or the groundwater. Um, but as far as regulations, the main federal law that deals with drinking water safety is something called the Safe Drinking Water Act. And the Safe Drinking Water Act, that sets um, actual you know, levels of types of pollutants and things that you can have in the water and that need to be screened out of the water to make it safe. That's the main federal law. Um, and then as part of the Safe Drinking Water Act, there's there's really an addition to it, which is called the Lead and Copper Rule, which was written by the Environmental Protection Agency, and that's what sets levels, um, we call them action levels for, for the amount of lead. But if that's present in the water, that triggers a whole series of, of management responses um, from the state and federal agencies, when when you meet that level, so for for lead in the lead and copper rule, it's 15 parts per billion. That when you, when it, that level of lead is present in the water, um, it triggers additional testing, and they have to warn the public and and all those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been kind of a, I'd say a mix between you know primarily the Safe Drinking Water Act, which states have passed very similar versions of the Safe Drinking Water Act in their own jurisdictions, um, and and so there's. That's kind of the main federal law that then has been adopted by most states. Then you also can have some additional state laws that could be passed, which would deal with water quality. Um, so that's on the, the drinking water safety side of things. As far as the Nestle situation and they're, they're pumping for, for bottled water, those laws are, are really um, much more... I'd say lax, and they 've just been they're, they're like newer types of regulations because historically people that were pumping groundwater there was really no permitting um, you didn't even really have to register these groundwater withdrawals. Um, it was just something that you know people did for agriculture they did for their own their own personal use, but now we 're starting to see more tracking of that and Nestle did have to actually you know study potential impacts to neighboring wells and to, to natural resources uh, due to their additional pumping. What do you
2: mean so, by... I his- no, that's a
0: lot, but... No, no, no,
2: that's, per- that's perfect. What do you mean by historically, though? What is the time frame that you're kind of referring to, like, past, like, 15, 20 years or past, like, you know, 70 Yeah, so, so
3: as far as the groundwater withdrawals in Nestle, I mean, this is really since 2008. That's when we had that, that Great Lakes Compact was passed that I talked about. And, yeah. and with that, st- the, the eight Great Lakes states that were preventing diversions of water, they also passed... Um, like water management rules within their own jurisdictions, trying to protect groundwater as well as surface water. So, you know, really we're talking in the last 10 years um, that those regulations have changed for the, the pumping of groundwater.
2: That is actually shocking to me. <laughs> it's not, that is very recent history.
3: Wow. Uh, well, even, even today there are, uh, I'm certain, many large volume wells, you know, pumping perhaps hundreds of thousands of gallons of water a day for, for agriculture that are, you know, basically unregulated. Wow.
2: Okay. So, so th- thank you for that awesome overview. Um, I'm imagining post Flint and, um, you know, all of these kind of you know, issues that are happening in Michigan, that there are a series of wonderful laws and regulations that have been placed to prevent anything like Flint from ever happening ever again. And, um, so can you tell us what some of those are?
3: Well, uh, one of the shocking things about the response to the Flint water <laughs> crisis exist. here in Michigan is that our legislature has really failed to act in any meaningful way. Um, they passed a couple of band-aid provisions, like I mentioned, providing bottled water to the people of Flint and uh, providing filters for their, their faucets, lead filters for their faucets. But as far as like meaningful regulatory change, we've seen basically nothing. Um, So what we have right now, there's a a rule that's been proposed by our governor, and they can do this administratively. The governor can direct our Department of Environmental Quality to pass regulations um, administratively, and so they've proposed revisions to Michigan's lead and copper rule under our Safe Drinking Water Act um, that I alluded to previously, um, which would lower that action level from 15 parts per billion down to 12 parts per billion. And Michigan would then have the most protective or strictest um, lead and copper rule regulations in the country. But I should point out that there's no safe level of lead in our water. I mean, this is this right. is just a—it's more of a, a screening and a management tool. Um, you know, ideally, none of us are drinking any water with with lead in it, right? Yeah. That's, that's just uh, not something that we want to have. I don't really want um, to so do that. So that's a good step. Yeah. Um, the other thing that this regulation that would be passed by our Department of Environmental Quality would require is that we would replace all of these lead service lines. So these are the water lines that would go from a water main in the street into someone's home. There's estimates that there's about 400,000 of those pipes, those service lines in the state that would have to be replaced by uh, 2040 uh, would be the timeline. And that the issue there, though, is that there's no money in this, this regulation. It's just a uh, Sort of like the old unfunded mandate, you know, the state yeah. telling local water utilities that they have to replace all these service lines, but without providing the money to actually do that work.
2: And so we're going to, I want to talk in a minute, you have a really, uh, you know, a solution to that, um, you know, for from like a fundraising perspective that I want to talk about in a minute, but um, before I want to um, just kind of t- chat a little bit more about some of these regulations. So, so there is, okay, so nothing really substantive has come out of, you know, Flint, which is shocking and devastating um snyder does however have a proposal kind of in the works and um part of that would be to replace the lead the lead lead pipes and i'm wondering Mm -hmm. if this was like in response to or already happening i read the uh, american society of civil engineers report recently that basically grades like um you know What is it, states? uh, They're like the status of their infrastructure, basically. And um, Michigan got a real bad grade on that one. So <laughs> like a D plus, like I could not, if I ever got a D plus on anything, I would be so upset. <laughs> so, um, so what does this kind of, what does this mean? Right. And how do these, w- yeah, was this in response to that report or had this already been in the works and would the proposal, signer's proposal, like make a meaningful change to, um, direct, direct, like the city or the state's overall infrastructure quality with regard to water?
3: Yeah. So, so that, that report, I mean, that includes, um, roads and bridges um, you know u- utilities like like electrical as well as as water um, but it does include water distribution water treatment at sewage plants and that type of thing so a big reason why Michigan has a, a failing grade on our infrastructure has to do with the lack of investment in our drinking water treatment plants and in our wastewater treatment plants because you know water is basically it's a big recycling system and You know, a drinking water plant might pull water out of, let's use the example of the Detroit River, pull water out of the Detroit River, and then people in Detroit use that water, we drink it, we go to the bathroom, that water is then collected and goes to a a wastewater treatment plant, a sewage plant, where they treat that water and then discharge it downstream in the Detroit River. And then a community like Toledo, Ohio, (laughs) pulls water out of that same river um, river system and uses it for their drinking water. So it's a big recycling system. And when you don't... Maintain and upkeep those systems, you can lead to, you know, more pollution, which then is more expensive to treat and can lead to all sorts of problems. Yeah. So that, that D plus infrastructure grade includes water, uh, includes water infrastructure. Uh, but, you know, Michigan, we, we've had a real battle with just trying to maintain our roads and keep them in somewhat drivable Conditions. I feel like this isn't a very good um, advertisement for tourism in the state. <laughs> it's a wonderful place to visit, it is um, amazing- even though we've had these challenges with yeah, you yeah. Know, a stagnant population. Um, we were you know, hurt really bad even pre recession um, through loss of manufacturing jobs. So it just hasn't been enough money to go around to maintain all of our infrastructure. And that's that's what that, that Society of Engineers report uh, demonstrates, is that we're way behind the curve in, in funding our infrastructure here.
2: Right. And I'm sure that there are other... Yes, absolutely. I would never want anyone to listen to this and be like, we're well, never going to Michigan. It is a <laughs> gorgeous state. It is, you know, the people, obviously, are amazing. <laughs> There's a lot of really great things happening. Um, and, uh, you know, worth noting, a lot of issues and every other state in the, in the, you know, in the country. So we, I'm just focusing on, on, you know, these particular issues of Michigan and hopefully, um, my goal is that people might want to get involved and, and actually help move the needle on some of these. Um, so, okay. So, so that is that report, um, What other let's talk about your kind of proposal, right? We, you know, we need these upgrades, there's no money. You have a very, um, interesting suggestion about how we can kind of raise money that would be, um, you know, directed to making some improvements in the state with regard to water. So, you want to, yeah,
3: so without further ado, back to um, Nestle as an example, um, so. This is a company that's pumping millions of gallons of of water uh, to then sell as bottled water. And the way that we typically pay for water is that water, there isn't really a price on the water itself. Um, So if I pay my water bill for the Detroit water system to send water to my home, I'm really paying for the infrastructure. I'm paying for the pipes. I'm paying for the people to maintain that system. The water itself, there isn't really um, a dollar value placed on. And for Nestle, at these groundwater wells where they, where they pump water for bottled water, they're charged a $200 fee. A $200 annual fee is all that they pay to the state for the right to take that water, so bottle crazy. it, sell it, make money. And so you know, my proposal is that Michigan should at least look at um, some sort of a tax or fee on all bottled water production in the state. So not just Nestle, but all the other companies that are bottling water as well or looking at some sort of a tax at the point of sale, meaning when someone goes and buys a bottle of Ice Mountain water from, from Nestle at, at the, uh, the grocery store or the gas station or whatever, that they would pay a tax on that. And that's something that the city of Chicago has done. They have like a point-of-sale tax on bottled water. So, and, and the idea is that then you raise that revenue, and you would invest that money, that revenue, in things like our drinking water infrastructure systems or wastewater systems or... Um, in things like habitat, wetland protection, which are also very important for water quality.
2: Um, so, th- but this would be kind of um, not—I don't like the word penalizing—but it would be, you know, it'd be the, it would be kind of like consumers' responsibility to raise this money. So, if we don't raise, you know, tax rates, for instance, they're still going to the, con- the consumers, the citizens are still going to have to pay for this. Why not yeah. charge the corporations more? Like, is that just too obvious of a solution?
3: Well, I think you know, one way like to operating. do it would be to have a, a sliding scale of a rate. So let's, let's say you know per every 100,000 gallons of water that, that Nestle or another company were to pump, they would have to pay a certain percentage of a fee for that. I mean that's another way to look at it. And that would be then a direct charge to the company. Right. Um, and then I suppose if, if Nestle then had to raise their their price of bottled water, so high that then people weren't buying it. Well, then they would they would um, perhaps reduce their pumping and you know <laughs> stop. So so yeah, yeah, you do. There's there's that kind of question of is your goal to conserve water or is it to raise revenue? Right. And I mean that's something where I think there's there's a bit of an art to these these types of taxes or fees. Um, you, you don't want to set it so high. It, to rephrase, if, you, if you're trying to generate revenue, you want to set it at such a, a, a price where people will still continue to buy the product. Mm-hmm. If you're looking solely to conserve water and to reduce pumping, then you probably would want a higher tax or fee that would potentially drive that business um, elsewhere, you know, out of Michigan to uh, Minnesota or somewhere else. To, <laughs> if that's your goal.
2: To California, where they have so much water right now, and Nestle is still uh, operating, right? It's
0: still. Well,
3: and that's just it. I mean, there's only. Again, surface water is a finite resource, and so you know you can only go to so many different places without having harmful environmental impacts, or potentially, um, you know, the, the areas of drought. You mentioned California, but you know other other parts of the arid Southwest um, where they just don't have any water to spare, um, and so they're starting to look at places like Michigan as where they might be able to, you know, buy water or transfer it elsewhere. So um, these are questions that are not going away. I mean, with with a changing climate and a warming climate we're going to see more and more stress put on our water resources um it's it's sort of a um a throwaway line now but people talk about you know water water being the oil of this century you know wars were fought over oil yep. um in the 1900s and the you know wars conflict would likely result from water in in the, the 20th century so um you know these are things to to really be concerned about um moving forward so, you know, I, I think we're, we're looking, we're talking about Michigan, but, I mean, this is really a, a national issue and a global issue, the way that we're wa- managing our water resources.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, so, and then did we, so does does your proposal, it, that's in addition to um, Representative Lucido's bill that was, that was proposed, right? Yeah. Can you tell us? I, I mean, I guess
3: really what I'm trying to do is, is drive this conversation. I, I mean, I think we need to have a really serious look at, you know, we're basically giving water away to companies to make a profit, and you know what about capturing some money to fund our infrastructure and to fund our, our natural resources? And so um, we have a state representative, Peter Lucido, who he, he proposed a $0.05 cent tax per gallon that the bottled water companies would have to pay. Mm-hmm. So anyone producing bottled water would have to pay $0.05 cents per gallon. He estimated that that would raise about $20 million just from Nestle, just from that one company. Um, so that's one approach, you know, I think there's other, other ways to do it. Like we talked about a sliding scale or something, Mm -hmm. kind of like a graduated, graduated income tax would be a graduated water tax. You know, there's there's different ways to look at it. Um, but what I'm really trying to do is just, just, get this conversation going and keep it going Absolutely. because, again, I don't think this is an issue that's going away. It's probably going to get worse before um, it gets better.
2: And what has your sense been on, you know, people's interest in kind of getting involved in these in these issues? Do you feel like, I mean, it, it seems like people were really riled up about the Nestle decision, but does that yes. actually translate into action or is, is that just like a specific community that was really riled up? Like, you know, what what how, how do you feel people, like is this on people's radars by and large?
3: I think it is. Um, I think the public is ahead of our elected leaders on this one. I really feel like this is something that has galvanized public attention. Just to give an example, to put some numbers on it, this Nestle proposal to change the amount of water, they could pump at one well, so just one of their wells. Um, our Department of Environmental Quality received over 80,000 comments against this proposal. Wow. So people writing in or emailing, you know, over 80,000 comments against it. There are only 75 comments in favor of <laughs> Nestle's proposal. Um, but because the laws are so um, just sort of lax and, and easy to, it's, it's relatively easy to get a groundwater permit. And so even though there are all these comments against it, you still, you still had the, the the permit was then granted to Nestle, um, but I guess the point is, is that eighty thousand comments is an astronomically high number yeah. for this type of permit. Most of these things just fly under the radar, nobody even comments on them. Absolutely, and I think because of all these issues we've been discussing, this is at the top of people's mind. So we're starting to see we've got a governor's race coming up in Michigan this fall, and, and these, these candidates that are, that are campaigning for that, they're getting asked questions about Nestle, and they're getting asked questions about Flint. Um, so I really think that, it, it, again, the public is ahead of where our, our elected officials are at this point, um, and that, that might be changing, because I think you're right. I mean, it's definitely um, really galvanized that, that public attention.
2: Well, that's good. That's a that's that is really good news and good to hear because, um, you know, I think that it's, it's hard to get people's attention, um, you know, this day and age. So what else can people listening to this, um, even people in other states, you know, is there, what else can we do to kind of get involved and to um, help drive the conversation and hopefully encourage elected officials to make the right choices?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think definitely for people in Michigan, it's something to, to contact your state representatives about, you know, your state house members, your state senators, our governor, um, definitely letting them know that this is an issue you're following and that you care about people outside of Michigan. I would be, you know, vigilant in your own backyard. Um, you know, for folks in New York, I mean, there's, there's significant threats to New York's drinking water supply from the upstate New York. And, you know, what, what's the long-term sustainability plan there? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and if you really, if you care about, the environment and you care about fresh water supply, um, you know, really consider avoiding bottled water as a product. You know, it, it's something that there's all sorts of environmental consequences above and beyond just the water itself. And so, you know, one of the best things I think we can do if we're if we're concerned about these issues is to, to sort of use our dollars as, as the way that we, we vote, if you will. Absolutely. Um so you know, not not buying products that, that you think are having a harmful impact. And so you know, again, I'm not against anybody making a buck, but I think there's ways to do this responsibly and then to also provide some revenue that, you know, if we can pass a tax plan or something like I've suggested in Michigan where we can actually capture some of that revenue and invest it in infrastructure. Um, because I guess the final point I should make is that we have not had a legislature in Michigan that is even willing to really discuss these tax issues. Um, that representative Lucido's bill, that $0.05 cents per gallon bill, mm-hmm. um, hasn't even been read in committee. It's just sitting there languishing, um You know, (laughs) on the books without without ever being passed or even discussed. So, you know, we've got a ways to go, and I think public pressure is the the way that this will actually get done.
2: Absolutely. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. And um, before we before I let you go, can you um, tell us how listeners can read? um, You know, more about this issue can certainly look for um, you know your opinion pieces coming down the pike. Where can they come go to get more information, um, like from the law clinic and elsewhere?
3: Absolutely. So, um, you know, I definitely say um, law.wayne.edu, law.wayne.edu. That's our law school website. There's a link to our clinic there on the website. Um, But another great thing, so um, The Conversation, which that's the name of of the the actual um, journal that I wrote the article for, The Conversation, it's an online publication house. And um, on there, they've got a a great list of stories about not only bottled water and my piece, but also stories about Flint and about water quality in general. Um, And so that's a a good place to go. Again, it's called The Conversation. And they they have all sorts of you know really interesting. And these are all articles written by university professors, people that our experts in the field writing about these topics so that's a good place to go for more information as well
2: all all right that's awesome Nick thank you so much for for joining us today I really enjoyed our conversation
3: I I did too thank you
2: (laughs) all right great okay I want to give a big thanks to our sponsors as well for their generous support and also uh, my fabulous engineer Matt Patterson Uh, show music is by Tim Archer all episodes of Eating Matters are available on the Heritage Radio Network website or as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher if you haven't done so already please subscribe and leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. I'm Jenna Liute and thank you for listening.
1: Thanks for listening
2: to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you,